You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, in our experiment, tentative. Well, um, uh, things are about the same as last week. Social distancing is sort of collapsing. Mm. Of its own, even though California is still in lockdown. I have the, uh, there's a sense of incipient lawlessness, like mm. cars are being broken into. Did I tell you last week I had shoes stolen from my front porch? Uh, uh the I, obvious question is what were they doing there, Mickey? They were drying out, Bob, because I got them wet and I put them in the sun and I didn't realize a homeless guy would come and substitute his crappy sneakers for my Best pair of shoes. Oh, so he, so he swapped them. He didn't really steal them. It was an exchange. It was non-zero sum in a yeah. way. <laughs> it was yes, although I'm unlikely to wear his sneakers anytime soon. Uh, but um, so uh, that was unfortunate. But there's just a general sense that, like, I'm scared to walk at night. I was never scared to walk at night because people, are, the criminals, are sort of desperate. You figure they can't break into houses because people are in their houses now, and mm-hmm. so they have to like target whatever targets of opportunity happen to be around and the police aren't really interacting with people because they don't want to get the virus duh so um uh i i don't know maybe i'm wrong but other people i know have the same sense well are there any actual reports of this kind of crime in your area i mean steal it exchanging shoes is one thing no i mean but, I like said assaults there were, or or, or no, but they're 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 their cars with broken glass where the cars have been broken into that's you know, that's new in this neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, when I lived in, in Venice, that was sort of par for the course, but not really. But now it's, you know, hmm. I, I supposedly live in a safer neighborhood now. So, um, it's, hmm. uh, I don't know. My, I, 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 it hasn't, there hasn't, there hasn't been you no, know, any definitive statistics or anything, but, uh, anyway, you know, that, I, was, you, it, I was just in New York City, like, Two hours ago, and uh, in fact, I, I'm kind of uh, a little, a little, uh, um, a little tired. Why does driving make you tired? You know, I did a, I did a round trip into New York City, and I, I, um, yeah, I've ma- I've made that round trip. What were you doing there? Oh, my wife had to get a medical procedure. It's not serious, but involved her eyes, so she couldn't do the driving. Mm-hmm. And we didn't think this was a pandemic. It was the perfect time to put her on it. New Jersey Transit, so. Um, right. So, so that's that. But anyway, in New York, it's, it's almost the opposite. Like normally in New York, you feel you're on the edge of chaos, right? But right. it seemed very orderly, uh, not nearly, nearly as many people on the streets, uh, almost complete mask compliance. Uh, at least 95% of the people I saw were wearing masks, just walking along alone on the, on the sidewalk. Yeah, um, we have that. We have that too. Oh, do you really? Because because we don't, and 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 I live like you in more of a suburban area. But um, I anyway, I I don't know what it's like on 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 the other side of town. Uh, the, the the class thing that we talked about last time is is very much in evidence. In fact, I you know our we we have some fancy hospitals on the on the west side, but one of them is St. John's, the hospital I tend to go to. I bet there is not a single COVID patient at St. John's. And if there is one, uh, it's, it's somebody from not out of the area. They're taking in, 
you know, patients from elsewhere. It's just become completely concentrated on that other half of town. And uh, if I want to pivot the camera here, so you look out the window, I guess you can't. There's sort of a. I see trees. You see trees, and that's heading toward downtown LA. You don't see a layer of haze over there. No, you don't see a layer of haze. Well, there is, is there a one? layer of haze. There is a I layer kind of, of do, but yeah, it's a little lighter near closer to the horizon, kind of. But it's it's sort of browner. Anyway, the, yeah. anyway, the there's a layer of haze that wasn't there before, and that's smog, and it's smog because people are out driving again. They weren't driving mm, before. It used so, to be completely clear. So, so that's um, that's a normal vista for you, but but you had a brief respite from it during the height of the pandemic along. The air is still fantastic compared with what it normally is, but mm-hmm. it's it's gotten noticeably worse. Is it traffic is about fifty percent, maybe forty five percent of normal. Yeah. So it was down to like five percent of normal. So it's um it's fraying whether or not Governor Newsom uh you know uh lifts the lockdown in, in in Los Angeles the the health commissioner mistakenly came out and said we're going to be in lockdown for three more months and then she had to eat her words uh, because the mayor wants to slowly open up. Well, this lockdown question is getting kind of intensely partisan. I mean, it has been for a while, but don't you think it uh, it got amped up a little this week? Oh, totally. But I think Trump's bet so far is paying off. I mean, he, for all his erratic leadership, and it's been very erratic, uh, he he said we we need to reopen and the states that have reopened, including Georgia, with which reopened against his, you know, orders, uh, have not shown a huge spike in cases. Now mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, they've opened the bars. So if there's not a spike in Wisconsin, uh, then then the anti-lockdown forces will will you know have a huge momentum. But, uh, you know, so far so good. I'm crossing my fingers in Germany. They've sort of opened up and they, and they haven't, uh, had a spike. So maybe, well, you know, one it is theory getting is warmer. It is getting warmer. That'll it's help. Getting warmer. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, f- states like Florida and Georgia are n- naturally warmer. They, they hadn't right. had the, the big, the big infections anyway. Um, one theory is Matt Ridley's theory, which is, the big spike in Europe was all from the hospitals. It's because they didn't realize that the centers of infection were the hospitals themselves. Hmm. So the, the few COVID patients that were there were infecting everybody else that came into the hospital, and they brought every COVID patient to the hospital and then sent some of them home, and they infected their families. And that was just a disastrous policy. And maybe by avoiding that, you avoid the worst of it. Well, this is what I've been saying. If you can, you know, figure out ways to keep the most vulnerable secure, uh, and that's easier in principle if many of them are in to are together in institutions like hospitals and um, nursing homes. You know, you could really change the numbers. I, I think it's futile to think you're going to keep the most vulnerable secure. Well, I, I don't I think mean, nursing homes should be. I mean, I, I just think if you're if we're going to come out of lockdown in states like New Jersey and New York. Where the thing has been relatively intense, you have to be willing to to take extreme measures, and and uh, you know even to the point of uh, preferentially hiring immune people. I don't know having people who don't have families actually live in the nursing home. Like I said last time, no public transportation for for the workers. You know, drive them. I, you know, I just think because that would solve. I mean, look, um, 
you know, a huge fraction. I mean, look, where I live, this is a town of 29,000. Uh, last time I ch- last week, 14 people had died here of COVID. 13 were in nursing homes and, and the other one was under home care. So it's like at least here and over 150 people have tested positive here. But do, and, do you realize how, how, what percent of the population is either over 65 or has an underlying medical condition? I think we talked about this last time. It's, yeah, but, it's, but, like, but, it's but, almost 50 percent of the population. I realize that. But if you just if you just take care of the people who are in both of those categories, OK, they are under care and old. That really, at least in my town, that would pretty, you know, that would basically, uh, that, that, there would be no deaths here. And there, and there were 14 well, as of last week. And well, we're opening up. So we're going to have to do that. So, uh, you're yeah. right in that we're going to have to try it. There are all sorts of things we should be doing that we're not doing that we have to try to do as best we can. That's one of them. And testing is another one where we're doing it in a half-assed way. But, uh, I'm sort of been convinced by the experts that every little bit helps. So, do as yeah, much as but there we can. there is kind of a, a threshold you cross where you actually can do the contact tracing, and and it's just a, it's just a totally different approach. Um, and we're just not there, and I don't know when we're going to be there. I mean, I do think it is. Don't you think it is politically smart of Trump to take this side of the argument? The, I mean, it's ironic, of course, because his administration issued the lockdown criteria I, that he's now advocating uh, the violation I don't know of. If it's so smart. I mean, old people are worried and they're deserting him. He needs those votes. So yeah, but see, I, I think your sense that over the summer this is not going to get worse, um, and will it's not going to be some kind of health catastrophe is. Correct. And, and I think, whereas I think the economic damage is probably going to become more and more apparent. And if he's on this, the, and if he's anti lockdown, he can blame those damn pro lockdown governors, uh, for the economic mess. Well, he can, I don't mean plausibly, but. Well, he's doing surprisingly well in the poll numbers for handling the economy. It may be that people not irrationally think, hey, he was doing great. And then this thing hit us out of the blue. And boy, we'd like to have those Trump days back again. Trump was great. So he's sort of like, bring, make Trump great again. He's bringing back Trump. No, they, uh, and, and that might work in terms of uh, people's economic hopes. No, he should, you know, count himself lucky. Uh, uh, by and large, certainly by his supporters, he is not being blamed for any of this. I mean, his approval rating is, it, it's not just as high as it was before this started it is at the high end of the range it had been i don't think so i think it's come back down no no well it has come back down it actually went up but no if you look at the range it had been in for the previous two years it is now in that range but at the high end so in other words i thought it was 41 percent before and it's 41 percent now that's well 41 percent was the high whatever it is in now was at the high end of the of of the range anyway the point is he's not being blamed and you know the economic pain is settling in you know i mean a lot of people who are his supporters are hurting economically i've got to think they're not blaming him and that's Uh, that's important for him it it's um it, it, it will be it will be striking if this hasn't hurt him it sure hurt him with me hurt uh so um here's here's my this may be a completely cliched point. Uh, we're never going to go completely back to normal because if you are a terrorist around the world and you see the havoc that's been wreaked by this relatively mild bug, you're going to say, why are we 
worry we worried about weapons of mass destruction. Let's engineer a more vicious bug. And, and that's entirely within the, the range of, uh, achievement for terrorists. And we're constantly going to be in fear of the next bug. And the next bug is going to be actually be bioengineered, even if this one wasn't. Uh, yeah. It's sort of obvious, isn't it? Well, I mean, you're preaching to the converted. I mean, I, I, uh, as you may recall, we were once at the New Republic together. I wrote a cover story that Andrew Sullivan titled on the cover, Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid. And, and it was about chemical, it was about biological and nuclear weapons and to some extent chemical, but it emphasized that biological weapons are the hardest to control. We talked, we talked about this earlier, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is why, we cannot afford to start a new Cold War with China. China has to be part of the solution um, to this. Yeah, um, I'm uh, anyway, but we, we will get a brief respite because it'll take a couple of years for the terrorists to crank up the bioweapon well, the, the Most of the people right? who are terrorists, you know, don't have the skills that are required to do the actual engineering. On the other hand, they are not that exotic. Um, and they're, they're less and less exotic. So it, I, it's totally time to take it seriously. And we're obviously just, you know, we've been wasting time I, for years and years. Um, I, I, I am not, I'm not expressing an opinion on the China thing, but I am commenting on the, uh, culture right convergence on this issue. Uh, hmm. there explain, was a reason. Explain that to me. Well, she's, we discussed it. She's yeah, yeah. Opposed, she's on China. She's, opposed, she's, on, she's on my side. She's opposed to the it came from the lab theory. I see. I don't care about. I mean, here, just get, uh, I'll let you get back to this. But it's like, why are people so obsessed with this? I mean, a either it was a regulatory failure having to do with wet markets or a regulatory failure having to do with labs. It's in terms of moral culpability. It's not a huge thing. A and B. The resistance, the anti-Trump people are making a mistake, I think, by, 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 uh, emphasize, you know, by, by saying there's no evidence that it came from lab. There's no evidence that it came from lab. They're building it up as something significant and it could turn out it came from a lab. And, right. and they, they should just be saying this is crazy. We know it wasn't a bioweapon. We know it wasn't an intentional right. leak from a lab. Um, I think, I think if it was a bioweapon, the task for, of developing a vaccine would be changed. And so you do want to know that. Uh, you don't know, know that, it, but it, Mickey, Mickey, that's off the table. The two plausible scenarios are a, an organic natural virus escaped from a lab and no one in China wanted it to a or B it was a right. wet market. I mean, right. those are the only two things on the table. That's right. my point. And I'm just saying it's a mistake uh, for anti-Trumpers to go around Saying we haven't seen, show us the evidence it was from the lab. Suppose there is evidence, then then it suddenly seems consequential, and it is not. Well, it's a it's a proxy war. I assume neocons would like to see some sort of regime change in China, as would I. But I'm not willing to they're, go to they're war. They're torn for it. between their their for many of them at least their new resistance affiliation, you know, and you know, not wanting to let Trump dodge blame, and yes, they're they're well, Pompeo would not be torn. He's in well, the Trump Pompeo has no no divided loyalty. He's not in the resistance. It's both po- good That's political tactic. Right, exactly. He's not torn. Yeah. No. Anyway, quite, quite manifestly, he's he's not torn over this. Getting, getting back to my point, um, 
Mm. Uh, she sorry. She retweeted somebody who said. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison flatly stated that Trump's lab obsession is hampering efforts to force China to shut the wet markets for good. I made that point so, last week. Well, that's my point that there's a there is a convergence. convergence. Yeah, uh, it's harmonic. Uh, and uh, she also retweeted somebody who said uh, an attack on Nikki Haley uh, um, uh, for saying. Uh, no surprise that Nikki's solution, Nikki, Nikki being a neocon warmonger in these people's eyes, mm-hmm. no surprise that Nikki's solution for our complex foreign policy problems is often talking tough. Diplomacy demands a grasp of nuances of the evil that you're dealing with, carrots as much as sticks. The opposite of that could be total annihilation. Um, so uh, I think... I think you should nominate Anne for a seat at the Council on Foreign Relations. Aren't you a member? No, that's, <laughs> Not that exactly. The, that's the, Not that exactly. What? That is the is blob. That, that's, that's the blob the central. Blob. Okay. Although, on China, there is, a, 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 to some extent, a natural uh, favoring of restraint yeah. because the CFR is – uh, you know, associated with certain financial interests that that, right. that favor right. robust uh, right. globalized I finance. Should, I should say that 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 tweet, which Anne retweeted, was prompted by the revelation that Nikki Haley told the Chinese that Trump might uh, w- might invade North Korea, uh, uh, because <laughs> you never know what this guy's going to do. And this was considered somewhat irresponsible because what if the Chinese took that seriously? Or even worse, what if the North Koreans took that seriously and launched a preemptive strike? It's a very dangerous thing to throw around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say. So anyway, uh, that's, I just wanted to fill Well, I, I think uh, more seriously, though, I think what the administration is said to be pondering right now is whether to just blow up the trade deal. Because right now... One of the big arguments for restraint with respect to China is to preserve the trade deal. And there's a lot you, Trump should naturally like about preserving the trade deal. I mean, for one thing, you blow it up and, uh, that hurts the global economy of which we are part. Um, uh, another thing is that he can, he had been claiming it as a big accomplishment. And apparently, so, you know, th- this administration is full of, kind of neocons and non-neocon warmongers uh, who just like the idea, more or less, of hostility with other countries well, and, and are agitating for for uh, worse relations with China and, well, and provoking China. And, and the trade the trade deal is what's standing in their way. So if, if the if Trump decides to abandon the trade deal and say, screw it, um, well, keep, all hell can break loose. Keep in mind that pe- people who I respect, like Alan Tomlinson, think the trade deal was a great victory. Uh a, it keeps the tariffs in place. So if you're a free trader, phase one of the trade deal ain't so great for you. Uh, it keeps most of the tariffs in place. And B, it sets a mechanism which Tonelson thinks solves the problem of China cheating, which is we can bring a complaint against them. And at some point, if they retaliate against us, their only alternative is to scrap the whole deal. And they're never going to want to scrap the whole deal. It's too much in their interest. So we, ha- it, it sort of, Gives us a permanent advantage and it keeps the tariffs in place. A, a, an anti-free trader should love it and Trump should love it, except I think he wants more China purchases of soybeans before the election. But I can't believe he's going to want to blow up this deal because it's a great achievement. 
I hope you're right. I'm I'm happy to sing the praises of the trade deal if it'll uh, reduce the chances of a new Cold War with China. Okay, but it ain't such a free trade deal. Well, I mean, compared to what? I, I mean, you know, uh, compared, compared to, to all out ongoing trade war, compared to is, the status quo ante, it's not. There's, the, there's a you know, there's somewhat higher tariffs than there were before, but it, you know, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, God, we're ripping through the topics. Can I say that? Um, can I mention devs that we're at the end of this? Uh, we're, you we're can, you a, can mention devs. This um, is a TV show. That both Bob and I watch, and at the end of this, we're going to have a discussion of it that will bore the hell out of people who haven't watched the show. So it's going to be at the end, so you can just tune out, uh, you know, when that time comes. Yeah, and if we're taking care of business, I should also say, apparently, um, you know, we've gotten viewer listener feedback on various fronts uh, since last week, including what to call this podcast, which we can we can talk about later. But apparently, I guess I, I promised at the beginning when I said you were looking unshaven as a result of the pandemic and asked you to guess what change in my visage. You've was, had work done. I haven't had work done. But I but but anyway, apparently I forgot to say at the end what the answer was. And uh let's see, but somebody somebody guessed it. Where is the person Everybody who, everybody guessed it, I think. No, only one person guessed it. Not if it's what I think it is. What do you think it is? You're tanned. No. That's okay. that's so far from possessing the subtlety of the correct response, Mickey. Well, that is what people guessed. No, somebody got a, it exactly right, a, but now I can't. You have a biker's tan. You have a biker's tan. That you're, was the correct answer, but I wanted to credit the person. One person thought it was a hat. I have a stripe, a white stripe at the top of my forehead. And yeah. um, the... Uh, one person oh here it is probably uh and the reason is um that uh the y is closed so i can't swim for my exercise so i've been biking isn't that isn't that interesting anyway the correct tweeter is called the ugly hedge piglet and the close but no cigar is j farmer 017 who guessed it was a hat tan um and you know mickey if you want to do the thing again this week where we, we pose a riddle at the beginning that will keep them on the edge of their seats until the end, how about just a quick round of Name That Pandemic? You mean Name uh, That Pandemic? What do you mean Name That Pandemic? Not this pandemic. No, here's the deal. I realized, I, I was listening to the radio, and there was a reference to this prior pandemic, and I realized you and I have lived through a pandemic that was in some ways of comparable magnitude to this, and I had the illness. I actually was infected. And this is, uh, it killed a million people worldwide, which if you correct for population is the equivalent of like 2 million this time. And, and so far with, uh, COVID, like I think a little over 300,000 have died worldwide. It killed a hundred thousand Americans roughly. And that would be like 150,000 today. What disease and, was this? Well, that's what I'm not going to tell you right now, Mickey. Well, it's obviously some one of the two flus that came through. Possibly. <clears throat> I'm on the edge of my seat, Bob. <laughs> um, I do have some names. I have some name suggestions. Yeah. Uh, clearly, Experiment in Human Sacrifice is the best name, followed by Pangolin Delight. Who came up with I didn't see the Human Sacrifice. Well, Pangolin no, Delight... Just, 
That's the headline of an Atlantic article on Georgia that claimed that Georgia was an experiment in human sacrifice because all these people were going to die because they opened up. It's now being laughed at because that didn't happen, but... Uh, you know, the night is young. It might happen. Well, you know, we did discuss afternoon delight, not seriously, but uh, but viewer and or listener M.K. Hobson notes that that rhymes with Cowson Wright, which would also yeah. be true. Oh, but somebody else pointed out it's not Pangolin. It's Pangolin. Okay. And that throws yeah. more cold water on the idea of calling it pangemic, I guess, because pangemic just doesn't just doesn't do the job. I had one of the ventilator. Yeah, I still like the transmission. Oh, speaking of which, one person suggested Dynaflow. What um, about the? What about instead of the distance? What about the dis? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, I thought I had better ones. I guess I don't. Sorry. Oh, statistically insignificant was one suggestion. Um. Anyway, well, pangolin, de- pangolin, pangolin surprise or pangolin delightus. Pangolin delight. You don't you don't like them because they're anti Chinese, but and, well, the great thing flippant. is you you don't have to search to see if it's already taken, and and that's a real time saver. <laughs> it's flippant, and people are dying, so maybe you don't want that. But um, well, I think we may have already crossed that bridge. <laughs> okay. Um, I so, think. Go ahead. You go. You think? No, you go. I have a couple other uh, pandemic related issues. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, uh, I, 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 there was this, there's this new website, uh, a new, uh, pro border website, and it linked to a, an article on Sweden where they interviewed a, the former epidemiologist, chief epidemiologist, the guy who mentored the guy who's now the, the, the stud star epidemiologist whose name I don't want to pronounce. Uh, but, um, uh, he said confidently, as soon as, uh, as soon as the, the, the tests that, uh, that, that measure whether you've had the disease or not come out, uh, they will show that 50% of the population is infected in Sweden and the UK. And there was just a study of France and Germany that showed that only 5% of the population there was infected. So I think that guy is pretty much definitively wrong. Do you disagree? Well, I'm just thinking about the fact that Sweden's per capita death rate is lower than ours. So the question would arise. No, it's not. Per capita? I think it per is. Per capita, it? it's higher. It's, it's 30% higher. Okay, but that's not nearly as, I mean, that wouldn't nearly account for 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 their actual rate of incidence of the disease being up at fifty percent because ours is nowhere near that. Nobody nobody claims that. In New York, there was one that came back twenty one or twenty four percent. Yeah, but that was New York City. I mean, nationwide. Yeah. Now it could be accounted for by the fact that we did stupid things like send people back to nursing homes and and not uh, take care of hospitals properly. That's uh, possible. How you explain? A death rate that's so close to theirs as a percentage of the population, but uh, so much I think we uh, higher hospital- than theirs as a percentage of cases. I think but- we did hospitals better than Italy. We learned from Italy's mistake. Well, better than Italy, but I thought we were talking about Sweden. Yeah, okay. Um, um, he, uh, you know, there's a related thing, by the way. He, here's the thing. Like, um, 
you if you look at the curves of uh cases and uh whether whether it's well certainly deaths okay um you know for Italy for Germany uh for Spain they're almost symmetrical right they go up they come down and i've mentioned before that ours in contrast isn't coming back down nearly as fast as it went up but i i just noticed the other day that uh britain's is exactly the same and i'm like is that is it something about anglo culture or is it something about having an uh ethno-nationalist populist uh known as a buffoon as your leader um even though or- the or two it are buffoons be, in different senses. Or it could be that uh, that we avoided the big spike in hospitals that then came back down, so we just didn't go up as as much, so it was taking slower, longer to come down. Well, wait, uh, we did go up. I mean, we went up and not in like Italy. Italy's no, but the, 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 the if you look at the curves, the slope of our going up is actually very comparable to Italy's, whereas their their downslope is steep. Ours isn't. Uh, I think we didn't Britain's achieve their peak. If you look at the per capita uh, uh, chart, we did not achieve Italy or no, Spain's No, I'm not peak. talking about absolute level of peak. I'm talking about once you get it under control with social distancing, why, and maybe it's just that theirs was stricter. Theirs was a stricter lockdown, and that could be the answer. I'm saying they're coming down from their peak faster because uh, they fucked up and they had a gratuitously high de- death rate. And now all those people are dead and they've wised up. So their death rates coming down. Well, radically. and maybe there's closer to herd immunity too. Is you, you saying that that could be no, it too? No, I'm not saying that. I don't think there's close to herd immunity. Now the other ethno nationalist, uh, who comes to mind also may be in trouble. I mean, his curve is still rising. That's Bolsonaro. And, yeah, he, uh, he's in worse shape. But he is in worse shape because he has treated this with disdain for much longer than Trump did. And although I don't think it ever gets very cold in Brazil, it is getting cooler there as opposed to warmer right, right but, now. I mean, we're not doing that badly. We are coming down finally. It's we're just coming down, a fast but, rate. It's, but it's but it used to be over two thousand. Now it's seventeen hundred. Yep. Uh, and and the infection rate is coming down. That the tests are coming back below ten percent, which is a good sign supposedly. It's just. It's 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 turning out that the idea that we're anywhere near herd immunity or that the fatality rate is low because everybody's already infected and they haven't died, that turns out not to be true. No, I think I, I agree. I think I Trump's think. Trump's biggest blame dodging challenge will be the economy, not the disease per se. That's my yeah. guess. And the the other thing is, you know, it doesn't, you know, early November. I mean, yes, this will presumably get worse as it gets colder, but early, no- the first week of November hasn't, there hasn't been much time for that to happen. I mean, if you have a warm September and, you know, it does take a couple of weeks between getting the disease and people to start dying, I, I, I you know, even if there's a seasonal aspect, I don't think it will have gotten a lot worse by November. There's also, are they, is there going to be a lot of uh, early write-in voting because of COVID, that would help him too, because uh, more of the voting will be uh, when it's warmer. I don't think it's it's that big a difference. It's uh, it, it's usually a few weeks, but um, well, that the, could no, but that this, could be everything. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Well, that's, this segues into a point about Biden. He had another disastrous virtual. Uh, oh, I missed virtual it. meeting today where he, he he really couldn't get his thoughts. Together very well. I mean, you knew what he intended to say, but he said, you well, know, so it was live. Millions. He said, we have millions of people dead and eighty-five thousand out of work. He meant 
we have 85,000 dead and millions of people out of work. So he got confused. Yeah, but, that's um, not, it's not as, did he notice it? He corrected it later in the paragraph, yeah. Um, so, so they let him go live? Are they letting him go live a lot? That's not what I would recommend. I mean, so anyway, my point is I'm feeling more and more that people are so unhappy with these choices. You have a yeah. Trump with a, I might even press the button to get rid of Trump if there was in any way of, a great alternative, and I may even decide to vote for Biden. But, uh, but people are really, why, how did we get this senile guy in the basement? Uh, and I think it's more and more clear that Biden may be a do, may be doomed, that he may not, that eventually he may not be the nominee. So what if, what I, if, I think you're, I, I don't see what if that in happens. August, what if in August, he contracts COVID. Okay, he doesn't even have to actually contract COVID. He has to, to say he attra- con- contracted COVID, and he's going to devote all his energies to recovering, well, and, uh, and and he's going to step aside for that well, reason. Well, obviously, if he wants to step aside, it can be arranged, but I don't think that's going to happen. He's going to so get a lot of pressure happen? to step aside. From who? Democratic Party poobahs. People who don't want to lose to Trump. It's the, this is like an existential threat to the Democratic Party. They think the country I, uh, is completely fucked if Trump's the, elected. The smoke filled room is dead. Risk, they can't risk Biden, who on the, on the latest CNN poll was trailing in battleground states. Uh, uh, they can't risk losing. It's too close to call. Now, Bill Scher on the aforementioned DMZ podcast, which is great, by the way, with Matt Lewis, keeps, and he pays very close attention to this stuff. And he's been right a lot about the Democratic side of it. And he, uh, as of yesterday's podcast, he was saying Biden, the polls, Biden have been pretty stable and they look good for Biden. I don't pay that much attention to him. There apparently is this finding that um, whereas uh, last time around, voters who disliked both Trump and Hillary went for Trump. This time around, voters who say right. they dislike both Biden and Trump are going for right. Biden. Yeah, that's sort of the... the that's all important. Set- the I'll settle for different principle. Um, uh, but but, but agree, seriously, but what is your scenario? I mean, the Tara Reid thing has blown over, right? Do you agree? Should, I mean, even no, Megyn Kelly couldn't keep that going. It hasn't blown over, but it's it's more and more I sort of feel it's unfair to Biden if this woman comes forward without any more proof than she has to destroy his candidacy on that basis. Uh it, I, I, my first my first reaction was this isn't a case of campus rape where you want full due process before you destroy a guy's life. Uh, he's a candidate. He has to take the, you know, the lumps where, where they can, where they where, where they come, even if they're fair or not. But I think now it's sort of it it does seem sort of unfair that that without more, and she has a lot compared to other a people. Fair amount. There was, a, um, there was a recent, you know, in, 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 there's a court filing recently that, you know, from 96, I think, where, she, you know, she thought she doesn't say sexually assaulted, but she thought she had been abused. And um, so uh, but uh, I don't think it's blown over. And, and that my point is, that you know, it can be resurrected if you wanted to get rid of Biden. OK, but uh, uh, but lay out how this really happens. I mean, OK, well, one, th- one like, who are the people is- who are the people who are like emailing right now talking about it? Who where what is the Democratic establishment? Who are the people? Well, Barack Obama to start with that uh, people uh, listen to him. That's true. But uh, I don't and think- and uh, 
Nancy Pelosi, number two, and Steny Hoyer, number three, and Clyburn would be a big one, number Cly- three, uh, number four, because he, you know, he, right. he made, that, he made Biden. I think he'd he be Biden a tough sell, sell, partly for that reason. Uh, but, um, well, but he's presumably a loyal Democrat. And I think Obama like, would be a tough sell. I think I mean, Biden's got to screw up a lot keep more. Keep in mind, I'm a guy who thought Dukakis should have dropped out of the race when he was behind George H.W. Bush. So I'm I'm always ready to pull the plug on the candidate. And Benson was right there, and Benson was credible and much more credible than Dukakis. So I, I think he, I, know, I think he would have been a better candidate. But what has to happen is that a tweet I did two years ago has to be fulfilled. Like I think it really was two years ago. It was close to that. It was a long time ago. I predicted that at some point. Biden would have a really epic case of brain lock that would become a big deal. And that's come close to happening a few times, but it hasn't really happened. And I think that's what you need. Something, something that is just a unforgettable moment where he just seems like a guy who's in, in a hospital. That'll do it. That That'll do it, but it hasn't, has, ha- it hasn't quite happened. If he has, if he has 20 almost like that moments. I don't think that's the same. Uh, I think, uh, there, there, there are two weapons out there. There's, there, they can re- revive Tara Reid, and, and if one more shoe drops, then you know, if some other woman comes forward, you know, maybe they're saving somebody, uh, and and his opponents, not not Barack Obama, and and the second thing is the COVID thing. Uh, you know, it's it's they have two they have two techniques. To, of Biden extraction that they didn't have again. Any other candidate? The technique is not the problem. The, the the consensus among people who can make it happen is the problem. I, I don't I don't see it. All right. Well, I, I mean, you know, again, last time I checked, the betting markets for what's that's worth, we're leaving about a seven percent chance of of somebody other than Biden or Trump. And I think they're thinking more about the Biden side of it there. But uh, I'm not convinced. Um, I, look, I'd be happy to see a better candidate than Biden out there. Can um, but, spe- but who would that candidate what, be? Oh man, pick a name from the Manhattan phone book. I mean, he's a bad he's a bad <laughs> candidate. Um, okay, go ahead. You know the the uh, um. Here's a challenge for you. you said you even you could see yourself voting for Biden. So here here's my my question. You know, a pandemic is a time when, you know, group psychology can go two ways, both within a nation and between nations, right? People can say, hey, we're all in this together. There's ways we can coordinate to to make things better for all of us. Um, and you can have that community spirit. Or uh, the whole thing can dissolve uh, in, in bitter recrimination along various kinds of tribal lines, national lines, partisan lines, regional lines, you'll probably agree that more of the latter has happened, right? Internationally, there are big fissures. Intranationally, in our country, there are. Here's my question. Presumably, it matters who the president is at that, you know, when this happens in terms of, you know, so far as both of those things go, there are some presidents who are going to be better at holding things together nationally and internationally. Do you agree with me that if you look at every president we've had since you and I were born, and both of us were alive during the Eisenhower administration. This is a lot of presidents. Any of those presidents would be way better than Trump on this particular front in terms of 
avoiding needless division and factionalism and tribalism both within the country and internationally? A couple of points. Uh, if you live through the 60s, we're not divided. 60s were much worse. Uh, Lyndon Johnson did not bring the country together. Richard Nixon did not bring the country together. But that, that's not the people, question, but go people ahead. People were horribly split, and it was almost impossible to envision a future where they would be together. So uh, this is yeah, nothing. But, but, this is nothing. The I'm second not saying thing it is, is – I've made, I've made that se- point by myself, but I want to just point out one thing. Uh, this is a good example. Johnson did not he, – he withdrew and chose not to run for another term – I think in part because he saw himself as a divisive figure. Can you see Trump making that kind of sacrifice? No, but I can see Biden making that sacrifice. So that <laughs> well, gets don't back, change the subject. That gets, no, that gets back, it gets back to my earlier point that he might step aside to bring the country together, Bob. Um, well, that only, would be – look, that, uh, that would be great. As only Michelle a, Obama can do. But see, um, the other problem is who breaks the news to him that it, it is because he's too old and, and, and is really having cognitive trouble? I, they got here's the tr- the trouble is they've got to get his wife on board um yeah well that would help the the second thing is i just tweeted this and i sort of on the spur of the moment as one does with tweets uh so now i'm locked into the position but why is it so important to have national unity at this time we have we have a fight between the open it up people and the lockdown people one of them will turn out to be right. We have 50 states. They're doing their own thing. Some will work. Some won't. We'll learn from the ones that fail. Uh, maybe the anti-lockdown people will win because Georgia will have no repercussions, and that, that's a good way to resolve the debate. That's better than just having one central power with national unity deciding one course of action. Why is it so essential no, that we have national unity? Two things. First of all, if you agree – that just the sheer level of polarization we have in this country is unhealthy, and I assume you do, then anything that makes it worse and worse and worse, anything that leads us to go to where it was a month ago to, like, people with assault rifles occupying a state legislature, that's just bad, okay? And B, you left out an option. You said, uh, why do we need a national leader who enforces uniform policy? There's also the possibility of a national leader who, who, who enforces a, a policy that's not uniform, but is well thought out, and he works it out with governors, and it takes due account of the fact that different regions have very different issues, which they do, um, and doesn't wind up polarizing the whole thing and, um, and well, you know, declaring that, war both on China and on half of America. That that would be nice, but I, I just don't think okay. it's the most. I don't think it's the most essential. But thing anyway, do you agree that any 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 other president of our lifetime would do less of the of the division no, uh, than he's done? Well, division is his is his thing, but uh, that's I my think point. Uh, I think uh, John's. That's the different. That's a different question than whether they would be divisive. I think Nixon was very divisive, and Johnson was very divisive, even if they didn't intend to be divisive. Nixon, uh, in the at like three a.m., went out to try to talk to protesters. I know. Well, that, and that make was friends Nixon's, with them, not scream at them, make that was, friends that was with the them. The most surreal moment of the Nixon presidency, and it, not it, as it, surreal as reason, it would be if Trump did. The it. reason he did it. The reason he did it was because people hated him so much, and he wanted to find out why. Yeah, well, Trump. Uh, but, Trump is like, bring it on, you know. Uh, anyway, I, I could see Trump doing that. I could easily see Trump doing that. Well, you know, interestingly, uh, uh, just quickly, in the Errol Morris 
Oh, speaking of Steve Bannon, in the Errol Morris uh, documentary on Steve Bannon, Bannon says an interesting thing about Trump that I think you have to factor into any theory of Trump's brain. And I, and I have a way of factoring it in, but, and maybe we don't have time for this, but it, it, Bannon says that, um, the night of the election, after it became clear that Trump had won, Bannon and Stephen Miller and people like that were saying, okay, now let's bring the hammer down. We won. They lost. You know, let's do this radical stuff on immigration and so on. And supposedly Trump said, no, I want to bring the country together. And then the next day, when he saw all of these virulent anti-Trump protesters, he was genuinely surprised, supposedly. Trump was. He didn't realize people actually hate him. And I think... My, 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 I won't get into this, but, but I have a theory about how important it is that I, I'm just hypothesizing that he was a very successful bully basically for all his life. And I think that shaped his psychology. I mean, bullies don't understand that people actually hate them, you know, because people always suck up. Anyway, well, he, he, I, I, that sounds totally plausible and everybody knows he needs to be loved. Uh, so. And he craves the approval of the New York Times and actually thought he might win them over to his side. So that's part of that delusion that you talk about. Now, can I stick in a Steve uh, Bannon uh, yeah. moment as long as we're on the subject? Do you, you want to know what uh, Steve Bannon's attitude is toward the Chinese Communist Party, all the people and institutions who aid and abet it in China and in other countries? Uh, was a little yes. Of course. A little excerpt from one of his podcasts. He's yeah. talking about how he and his uh, his comrades, so to speak, feel about these uh, the aforementioned elements. And uh, here we go. Send your guys everything you want. This is our life's work to rip your face off. Okay, CCTV and Global uh, Times and People's Daily and the guys in London, right? And this and this schmuck in the in the pages of the Wall Street Journal. Okay, okay? it goes on. He's going to rip their face off. That's just this week's. Well, that's just a metaphor, Bob. <laughs> Could be. But a kind of serious point here. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, he talks and he talks about specific people. He talks about Bill Gates as if he's like, you know, collaborator. Mm-hmm. And he talks about Bill Gates in a way that does, however, marginally increase the chances of some crazy person out there will try to do something to Bill oh. Gates. I, I mean, he says crazy stuff. And, and, but what I want to say is. All of these, like, supposedly dignified, serious people come on his podcast and lend it credibility. So Mark Cuban, who presumably has had cocktails with Bill Gates, comes on the show as a guest. You know, Bob Kuttner comes on the show as a guest. Josh Rogan. And uh, and if they listen to the podcast, it's like this is this is a crazy man, um, you know, who uh, anyway, that, I'm, that's it. That's my um, spiel. Kuttner, those are fighting words. They, yeah. um, that used to be fighting words to me. Cutter's actually very sound on trade and on healthcare. Well, he sees eye to eye with, with Bannon on trade. I've come around uh, on By that. the way, I want to emphasize, uh, I'm not, let me just say, I'm not against people having Bannon on their platforms and interviewing if they'll, you know, hold his feet to the fire. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying ostracize wouldn't, him. Wouldn't you like to see it, the Tiananmen Square type movement succeed in China and China become more democratic? Oh, ideally, and yeah. Wouldn't that cause sure. a huge sea change in this, the general Level of anxiety on this planet would drop 50%. Uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Okay. Well, so if you want that, don't, don't trash the people who want that. 
Well, no, but the way he wants to go about it is the way that minimizes the chances of it happening. I mean, you know, this is... I don't know. We have have tried uh, regime change in various places in various ways. It seems not to work out well. I mean, he basically um, wants to declare economic war. We, we, tried, we tried economic cooperation. It hasn't worked well either. So maybe there's nothing that works. Uh, well, that's another art. We, I'd like to spend a whole show on whether it's worked or not and how bad things are in China or not. But um, in any event, just um, the whole the whole uh, aiding and abetting allegation he levels against various people is, you know, creepily McCarthyite. There's there's actually a reference in devs to this very point. Uh, just a little uh, reminder that at the end of this, we're going to have a discussion of devs Little where the tease. guy says, I was in the CIA and when Tiananmen Square happened, they told us, okay, we've won, guys. This is going to be the end of the communists. And then it wasn't. So anyway. Who who said that? Oh, well, never mind. Well, well, the, well, evil well, secu- the evil security guy. Yeah, he was a... Um, anyway. Um, so... Um, uh, I have a point about Flynn. Okay, you can explain this whole thing to me. The no, I mean Flynn. Here, here's here. The, the, you can get you can have a sort of a small board defense of Flynn, where you say we don't really know what his lie was because the FBI takes these notes and they don't take a tape recording, and the notes have been revised twice, and they won't reveal the notes. And you can say uh, it wasn't material to a legitimate investigation, and then you can have a back and forth about whether it was a legitimate counterintelligence investigation. It seems clearly they, they were totally justified in freaking out about Trump uh, and thinking that, damn it, we don't know what he's doing with Putin. Why is he saying all these nice things about Putin? Well, well, we want to find out. So It goes beyond that. Australia, I think, an allied government said... We have a guy who's saying, I forget, I think it was uh, Papadopoulos or whatever. They they alerted uh, the Obama administration to what they thought was a problem. And I think, didn't that start the investigation? Yeah, but that was bullshit. That was a pro-Obama guy who was well, anti-Trump. And it, it took something that Carter Page okay. completely in- innocently said, you know, and, and, and made a big deal of it. I don't it think was, it was Carter was, Page, but uh, anyway. Anyway, go ahead. It was Carter ahead. Page, but maybe it was Papadopoulos. Anyway, it was Papadopoulos. Um, it, it was... They were looking for any excuse to start an invasion okay, because like half the country, even the half half of the country that was pro-Trump, they were freaked out. Why is he being so nice to Putin? We don't know. There's a mystery there. And, and, and what do we have the CIA and FBI for if not to get to the bottom of the mystery? And Russia so had hacked that, the emails, apparently, and that was consequential. That doesn't – the, 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 the no material investigation thing doesn't strike me as a very good point. There is an argument that they didn't give – exculpatory information to his defense team, which has called Brady material, that, that that's knocked out a bunch of prosecutions before. So they could, you could rest your hat on that. But I'm looking, I say, look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is we, we had this great fear of Trump. Okay. They investigated. They didn't really find much. In the course of their investigation, they put the screws on Flynn because they thought they could turn him and get him to squeal as, as any good prosecutor does, uh, and tell us what was going on in the Trump, you know, what, 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 what are the goods? And they, they did that, and there was nothing there. So at this point, you say, fuck it, 
let's call the whole thing off. Let's show some mercy for Flynn. There was nothing there. Uh, yes, we put the screws. Now we can take the screws off. And that, that would be the sensible thing for any prosecutor to do. And that's essentially what Barr did. I mean, yes, he's doing more than that. He's, he's promoting this whole Obamagate theory, but, uh, but, but any prosecutor who wasn't partisan said, uh, screw it. We're, we're, we're dropping the Flynn prosecution. That'd be fine. It's only because it's Barr that it's such a big deal. But isn't and, it pretty unusual for the attorney general to intervene when no one is saying he didn't actually commit the crime, right? That oh, no, the, we, we don't know that he committed the crime. The, the crime of which he pled, lying about his right. phone conversation with Kislyak, we don't, the FBI agents involved, one of whom was Peter Stroke, uh, who was a, you know, a vicious anti-Trumper, uh, didn't think he was lying. And then they, re- we don't know what they wrote down in their report because it's been revised twice. Uh, hmm. uh, and you know, he may have, keep in mind that Flynn, they had leaked this conversation, his conversation with Kislyak, okay, to the Washington Post, okay? He may not have wanted to have told the FBI the whole truth, realizing that that's going to leak too, right? At this point, he was in the process of denying to the press, lying to the press, saying, we didn't talk about sanctions with Kislyak, okay? It's not a crime to lie to the press. But you wouldn't want to, uh, you wouldn't want to have that immediately contradicted by a leak from the FBI. So he was probably cagey. He said, oh, I don't remember what we talked about, you know, I, we may have, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's what some people say was what he actually said. So we don't know how bad a lie it was. You can say, well, he didn't, there were other crimes they had him on that he didn't plead to that he, they could have gotten him on. You could do that, but we don't know for sure that he, that, that the actual thing he was charged with, he's guilty of. Uh, so, um, I, I don't think you could say that. You could say he's, let's see what the other charges are. You could say he probably is technically guilty of something, but I, I, it's a good thing when prosecutions, prosecutors drop cases usually. Yeah, this um, was a, yeah, this was a ridiculous, vindictive pr- prosecution. We were trying to turn the screws on him. That's all water under the bridge. We're dropping it. That would be a perfectly reasonable thing for a prosecutor to say. Well, you're certainly right that the fact that it's Barr and then it's Trump is the reason everybody's, I mean, you know, accounts they, for at least half of the volume. Keep on in this, mind, I'm they sure. had already decided to stop the investigation of Flynn because they found nothing. And then they were freaked out by the fact that he had this call. Yeah, here's my Russian question, ambassador. though. Here's my question, though. Why did Trump say to Comey, Please take it easy on Flynn. I mean, maybe it's Trump being a nice guy, but if so, that's the only example I'm aware of in his whole life when he was actually a nice guy. I mean, well, no, he doesn't want Flynn to turn against him. That's but the what? Is, but but in retrospect, what did Flynn have against him? I mean, uh, we don't know, but he he, he okay. didn't turn against him. But I have a theory on that. What is it? Uh, Flynn has this conversation with Kislyak. It. Leaks to the Washington Post. Gee, how does that happen? Uh, obviously, the Obama administration, somebody in it leaked to the Washington Post. Uh, Flynn, Trump says, what is this in the Washington Post? This is ridiculous. Kill the story. So Flynn starts lying and he says he, he, he has people call up and say, we didn't talk about sanctions. This didn't happen. And Flynn lies to Pence. OK, but right. we don't know right. that he lied to Trump. Maybe right. he told Trump the truth. But Pence was so embarrassed that Trump had to fire Flynn because Pence insisted on it. And Trump feels guilty that he fired this guy 
when he, in fact, when this guy didn't lie to him. Oh. If you were Flynn, if you, if okay, you were... But, you got, but that scenario you would not does... Lie to the big, you would not lie to the big number one boss. You I, would lie to the number two flunky who's about to go on TV. I would just point out that that scenario does involve Trump feeling guilty. Right. I'm well, not saying that never happens, but he doesn't seem to be a, 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 a deeply conscientious guilt He always person. stays friends with the people he's fired. He's well, that doesn't mean Bannon. it's out of guilt. That's out of pragmatism, because they might be useful in the future. Anyway... Well, you know, at some point, guilt and pragmatism merge. Isn't that the, level, the lesson of evolutionary psychology? Well, guilt has a pragmatic rationale, but uh, that isn't the same as saying that every time you do something pragmatically sound, you're, you're driven by guilt. Anyway, so, so, so listen, what, what, so, so what should I – I try to save time by just not reading much about certain things, and this is the thing I haven't read much about. And so you're saying my takeaway, so save me the time, my takeaway should be, well, actually, it's not such a scandal that Barr intervened, uh, so why don't you go think about something else? Right, but and, and but apply the same principle to the Obamagate, which is let bygones be bygones, turn the page. Well, now, the, uh, the aforementioned yeah. Matt Lewis thinks Trump is making a big mistake with Obamagate because if he even hints, and I don't know to what extent he has hinted this, but if he even hints that in a second term he might try to, like, investigate Obama and indict Obama or something, Matt is saying that would be very good for Democratic turnout. That could be. I think uh, he, he he has to stop with the crazy uh, long before the election, you know, with enough time before the election that people don't get that. Mm. Impression. This is, I think, something to fill the time while the pandemic subsides. That's, I think, that's what this is. But um, okay. So, um, uh, anyway, I mean, I think the Obama people were vicious, but but you know, do we want to litigate this for the rest of our lives? No. Um, so there are a couple other things happening. Okay. Uh, oh, I had one more point about Trump. Trump had this moment of insight about his mother on Mother's Day. Did you oh, catch that? No, I missed it. He said, "Mother, oh, maybe she, she was too. Li- maybe she was too nice to me." She said she approved of everything that I did. Maybe that's why I turned out the way I did. Yeah, I think my mother was too nice to me in retrospect. And by the way, my mother figures in the name that pandemic uh, anecdote. But again, we're saving that to keep people listening through the part where you talk about, you know, Bill Barr and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm through with talking about Bill Barr. But I have a couple of other issues that uh, okay. I, I think should be on people's radar. Yeah. Um, one, uh, the the uh, this there's an immigration decision, a big immigration decision coming down from the Supreme Court on, in the DACA uh, case. Do you know? Oh, I'd almost DACA forgotten. Is? Of course. How could I forget? <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, it's the Dreamers. DACA is the Dreamers, but it's sort of yes. Um, and the question is, could could Obama? basically give dreamers a pass after failing to pass the dream act which have legally given them a pass he said okay i'm not going to prosecute you and deport you if you meet the happen to meet the same criteria of the statute and everybody expects the supreme court to say this was unconstitutional i think it's a tougher issue than people on my side think it is because it's sort of hard to why can't the president use his prosecutorial discretion it seems to me you have to the court has to take what he did and compare it with the statute and say, shit, this is way out of line. The statute wants you to deport, to deport these people. That's, you know, that's a, that's called the 
a duty to, to take care that the laws are enforced case. And it's sort of a nuclear weapon. Do you want the court to constantly intervene and say, no, Mr. President, this isn't what the statute says. You know, we're striking it down. So it's, it's a trickier case than, uh, I, I think they will strike it down, but it's a much trickier case than people think. Uh, that's my short take on that. Uh, but that, 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 when they do that, if they do that, that will reopen the whole immigration mm-hmm. issue because the dreamers will start complaining we're about to be deported. We're no longer protected by the court and Trump will try to use it for some le- futile leverage against the Democrats before the election. That's not going to work. Uh, so I, I don't quite know what it happens. Now, ordinarily, I might note that we seem to have strayed pretty far from the pandemic, the ostensible subject of this podcast. However, the last thing I want to do is to get you thinking about what connection there could be between immigration and the pandemic. So I'm not going to say that. I have thought a lot about that, Bob. I have extensive (laughs) notes on that. If you want to go into that. I did not say that. I did not say what I just said. Who said we could only talk about the pandemic here? No, I I, I think you're right. In fact, I think the big challenge. You're springing this rule on me. Someday this pandemic will end, and there's a chance that you and I will still be alive when it does. So we might want to pave the way for, like, you know, transitioning to a not exclusively pandemic This is just an ordinary podcast, and we're just – we're doing it on a regular basis because of the pandemic, but not – we're not restricted to only talking about the pandemic. That's a recipe for boredom. Yeah, you make a good Um, point. The – you're like Tucker Carlson. I wrote something attacking Fox, and all of a sudden he says – can't attack Fox on this side. Well, he never told me that before. This you're was your big a, principled you're recogn- springing. You're springing a new rule on me. Yeah, this is your big principled uh, like resignation. You 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 rank up I've there many, with uh, is, Cyrus Vance. I think of you and Cyrus Vance in the same. I think Thomas Moore is the better example. You did resign from the collar over that, did you not, or did you not? I no, quit. I you quit. quit. And but was that a euphemism for getting fired? No. Okay. No, he asked me to stay, but, but, but I quit. Um, well, good. So, I'm uh, impressed. But, um, Seriously, you should pause is, and appreciate that. I don't know how sincere is asking me to stay. As I assume, I assume it was sincere. But uh, no, anyway, you, I'm all for him now. If you, you said if was, he's if he's going to tell me I can't write critically about Fox News, damn it, I'm going to quit. And just as being what it is in this country, um, he is now a highly paid, famous person. And you are speaking in obscurity. He's incredibly to me. good at. He's incredibly good at what he does. He's, he's pretty he's, good. He's although, totally on. He's totally on fire. Man, did he ever pivot on this uh, <laughs> lockdown versus? I know. know the audience. We've talked about that. That's he knows audi- which side his bread is buttered on. Right. Right. But it's 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 sort. Of, I mean, I'm sort of half pivoting. I mean, it makes sense that you would say. We want. We needed a lockdown. We should have had a lockdown sooner than we did. Because the sooner the better makes a big difference if it's a week ahead ahead of time. But now that we've done that, we can loosen up and see what works because we have to be in it for the long haul now. And if we could loosen up a bit and make it more sustainable, uh, we should do that while we work like mad to develop therapies and a vaccine. No, I agree. I mean, what drives me nuts is is the anti-lockdown people – who don't acknowledge that the problem would be much, much worse in some parts of the country if we hadn't locked down. I agree. But, but yeah. you know, I appreciate that the problem looks very different in different parts of the country. I mean, like, you know, where I live, in New York and New Jersey, 
the rate, you know, more than one in 1,000 of residents have died from COVID. But in most states, it's less than one in 10,000 who have died. And that's just a totally different world. Right. You know, it's, you know, I and agree with that. There is this, that we took a talk about this last time, there is this, the, the, M, the mainstream media would like to say, oh, it's about to hit the red states, you know, you know, uh, uh, in, you know, infections in Trump states have spiked. There was a headline on NBC. But when you looked at it, you know, it was like there were 300 infections in, in, uh, a county in Kentucky that happens to have a prison where 280 people were infected. Mm-hmm. Everybody outside the prison was basically the same as before. Or there's a meatpacking plant that gets infected. Uh, but the idea that the idea that it's about the surge in the red states the way it did in New York and New Jersey, that I do not think it's going to come to pass, and, but yet the press keeps generating these stories. The worst offender in this is Greg Sargent of the Washington Post, who's working in cahoots with a demographer at Brookings named Fry, who says, oh, we have increasing high COVID counties in red states, and high COVID, he means 100 per 100,000. Well, the national average is 440 per 100,000. So high COVID does not really mean high COVID. It means what helps Brookings generate a lot of publicity by having a lot of high COVID counties. Now, here's a question about the psychology of tribalism, which is what we're discussing, because, you know, the two sides, Trump and anti-Trump, have uh, really, you know, coalesced around these two narratives. You're pro-lockdown, you're anti-narrative lockdown. And, you know, in, in this case, that's, you know, largely a function of the fact that this is more a problem in blue states and blue parts of red states than uh, than in red areas. But and, and so the way the, the, the narrative is, it, it, it's been it's been kind of aligned with traditional, uh, you know, motifs of the two parties by by like the Democrats saying, oh, you're so heartless. There are these poor people dying and the Republicans saying you guys just aren't tough enough. Buck up. People die. It's a tough world. Here's my question. If if because conditions had been reversed and it was like Republicans who were pro lockdown and Democrats anti for whatever reason, just because it was a different kind of disease with different kinds of a Democratic president who was trying to lock things down. Well, maybe. Uh, Yeah. uh, 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 Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Well, well, the question is, is is the psychology of tribalism so uh, kind of exquisitely adaptive to situation that they would adapt these motifs to the situation. In other words, yes. W- would they? And and so you're saying so. So like Democrats would say, you're so heartless. You don't care about the unemployed, the people who yes. know need to go back to work. And, and the Republicans would say, oh, toughen up. Unemployment is part of life. Would it, it would work? In other words, they would manage to preserve the two yes, enduring they, it motifs. Would, it would even be more. This I guess it would be if there was a Democratic president who was opening up, and the Republicans would were, were, were pro lockdown. Yes, and that would be more consistent for the Republicans because they are, you know, at least consistent with their historic pro-life condition uh, position that you, you know, uh, you know, you, yeah. you 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 favor the life of the unborn even at great economic costs, or you favor the life of Terry Schiavo even when it looks like she's a goner uh, at great economic costs. And uh, so, yes, I could easily see it flipping completely. So the the you're heartless, you're a wussy uh, narrative would would persist. It would just be adapted to different circumstances. Uh, 
You know, now the Democrats would say you're heart, would still say you're heartless. Republicans would still say you're wussies. They'd just be saying it about different things. You're heartless uh-huh. as far as the unemployed yes. go. You're wussies about the econ- econo- you know, economics being a tough yes. biz. Yes. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to have, uh, I was going to write a whole newsletter item called Flippers about issues that, that could easily flip if the tribes were aligned the other way. That would be uh, good. And that was one of them. You I should that, that you should do that. That you should, point has sort of been made. Not exactly. I don't. Has it been made like that that they would actually preserve the wussies versus heartless? No, maybe not. That's maybe what I'm not. adding here. This is the value okay. that people that, that people come okay. to this podcast for. That value added. But seriously, you should do flippers as a recurring thing in your newsletter. It would give me an excuse to plug no. you in my newsletter, no. which, by the way, is called the Nonzero Newsletter and can be found at nonzero.org. I, and and you I, know, a new one will come out. Soon. So people who listen to this podcast tonight, Friday night, can sign up at nonzero.org, get the next issue, but they better hurry because it could come out tomorrow. I have have a concept of flippers, and there's another category called uh, Kerners or Kern. Walter Kern said, you know, everything – reporters always say things will never be the same, and then they – in fact, after the crisis, they go back to normal. And and there are some things where it it looks like it might go back to normal. One of them – one of them is not work from home. Everybody says that's here to stay. But virtual colleges, uh, people do not seem happy with. And uh, so I suspect that after this is over, college is going to go back to being uh, in person and very little online. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh, I think you're, you're – I think colleges certainly will work hard to make it that because uh, nobody's going to pay them the tuition they're used to for uh, for watching Coursera courses. But um, the uh, – I'm predicting like I think this semester uh, like Ivy League colleges will not be in physical session. But I think by the spring semester they will be. They'll find a way to make it happen. That is my prediction. Um, I had a – I had a – Another crazy idea, which I rejected, maybe I, I'm just lazy, which is there are all these kids who now say, I've graduated from high school. I don't want to go to college when it's online. I'm going to take a gap year this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there, there's going to be an unprecedented number of kids taking gap years. And, mm. and, and colleges should start an official sort of online course of study for the people in gap years just to keep their, you know, keep their skills up. And this could be the revival of the core curriculum. They could say, okay, if you're a freshman, these are the sort of things we really want you to know. Okay. Uh, and that would be a huge public service. If some, hmm. you know, I try to think of why is that different from the Khan Academy where you can just go find out anything you want? Well, it's because it would have the imprimatur of like Ivy League schools and it would be, these are the essentials. You really uh-huh. should know these. You don't have to do it. You want to show up as a freshman a year from now, not knowing this stuff. Be my guest. But if you're the type of kid who goes to a high you know, a college, you're a sort of the, an achiever type, you probably are going to sort of look at this, right? I didn't I know you were. To, I didn't know you were a core curriculum, big core curriculum advocate. But I, I'm okay yeah, with it. Totally. Why Columbia, not? Columbia, I think, still puts some emphasis on that. I yeah, definitely they still got that through, course. I definitely got through college without. That kind of systematic uh, it was exposure. A huge gap. To- it was I, It was a huge fuck up on my part not to take those courses. Yeah. It would have. It would have helped if they'd forced me to do it. Anyway, I know a lot about obscure Marxian theory. That's something. It's coming uh, back. It's coming back. I know. Um, 
I, I claim that you're a Marxist, remember? I am in the sense of being a materialist. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, in the okay. sense that Marx is, not in the sense the philosophical yeah. sense. That Gideon, uh, Gideon Rosen and I, the philosopher, discuss uh, in, in my aforementioned newsletter. Did I mention my newsletter? Oh, yeah, I did. We, we discussed um, philosophical material, physicalism, like whether, you know, yeah, yeah sorry. Um, so, um, and my other, my other issue to put on people's radar is affirmative action. Speaking of tribalism, California Democrats are making another attempt to repeal Prop 209, which is our, uh, resolution that, uh, s- successfully passed, uh, outlawing race preferences in public institutions, mainly universities and public contracting. So no more affirmative action. Uh, the Democrats tried last time, but they were unexpectedly blocked by the Asian American lobby. So there was like ethnic warfare. The Asian Americans said, if we reinstitute affirmative action, we're going to be the losers because we're the ones that win in the non-race preference contest. And our sons and daughters are going to be denied entrance to Berkeley. And I don't know, the Democrats reintroducing, does that mean they figured out a way to buy off the Asian American lobby or neutralize it? Or are they just doing it for show? And why are they doing it now since they, they had a way around it, which is have these holistic, we, 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 we look at, we don't look at the person's race. We look at holistically at their whole, uh, record. And if their resume happens to involve overcoming racial prejudice, i.e., if they're black or Latino, uh, they get extra points for that. We're not saying it's a race preference. It's an overcoming race discrimination preference. And bizarrely, I don't think the, the anti-race preference people had an answer for that. The UCLA and Berkeley were going ahead with this holistic thing. And obviously it's not big enough if it's not a big enough restoration of race preferences if they're trying to overturn it explicitly, I think. Anyway, that's something to watch. So I take it you're against affirmative action. I'm against race preferences. I'm affirmative action. Am I, am I, now, you're not one of my, these people who's going to claim you can have it both ways, right? No, but my analogy is with a basketball game, which is I don't mind affirm. I mean, this, this sounds like a hack position, but I don't mind if they beat the bushes to find the best candidates hmm. that are excluded now. Hmm. And, and you're, you may say, and I think probably correctly, that the SATs actually help them beat the bushes because they can find really smart people. Who, who are in the hinterlands and overlooked, uh, or in the ghetto and overlooked. And, uh, but once you, you still want the, the best five people on your basketball team. So you okay. can recruit, but you let in the best five. And, uh, that would be my analogy. Okay. Uh, and we needed affirmative. And the other, the other hack point is we needed affirmative action after a century of discrimination, but at some point it becomes more toxic than it's worth. And we have reached that point. Okay. The other totally hack point. Anyway, sorry. No, no. I just wanted to... Is that what you expected my position to be? Roughly. (laughs) Okay. Um, If you're you're for social equality, you don't want... Oh, that reminds uh, me. You you know, Milton, Milton, our old friend Milton Lawson emailed wanting me to challenge you on the social equality thing. He used to work at Blogging Heads. He's a... uh, What? Bring it on. Good. Well, I think his point was pandemic specific, like, where's your social equality, uh, 
uh, now that, you know, the people who are uh, the essential workers who have to ride public transportation and are getting sick or, you know, and, and so on. But, but, but I, I, I've, I've, I've wondered, I mean, we should say to people like a big theme in your book, The End of Equality was, um, look, give up on income equality. Uh, it's too hard. You can't, you know, uh, but, but insist on social equality. Rich and poor use the same public parks. That's, you know, that's what you want to happen, at least. Uh, and so on. And, they you know, the poor are treated with dignity and respect. They do inhabit common spaces with the rich. Have you finally given up on that? I mean, it just ain't happening. The, the social segregation is getting worse and worse and worse for discernible reasons. And the more income inequality there is, the worse it's going to get. I, I think... I haven't given up on that. I think the important thing is inco- incomes at the bottom, not at the top. Uh, it, what do you, uh, you mean absolute income at the bottom? No, it's important to raise the floor. It doesn't. Oh, that's what if, I mean. if Jeff okay. Bezos gets another two billion dollars, that's not going to affect the actual lived experience. Yeah, but of Mickey, equality. when you've got if, public if the schools, minimum wage goes up fifty percent, that has a huge impact. Well, would equalize so, equalizing spending on public schools be part of your social equality? Like tax people like Bezos and actually uh, increase the amount of federal funding, so you don't have such wild variation well, the, in the well, the least could the least. I, I think I don't think there is all that much wild variation. If in New Jersey the poor get more more spending, oh God, are you kidding? The rich, the the um. Look, I, I'm, I'm from kidding. San Antonio, which was the source. I went to high school in San Antonio. Was the source of a Supreme Court case. Right. There are like seven different school districts in San Antonio. Radically different levels of spending. In, uh, but that was a long time ago, Bob. And now we spend a lot on inner city schools futilely. And in California, uh, we had. We had, in effect, put into effect this, what the Supreme Court opinion the other way would have been. And I live in Beverly Hills, where they, there, it's, it's actually quite hard for them to overspend on their kids now because all the money goes to the state and it gets doled out by the state. So I don't think spending between schools is, is, is going to end social inequality. Rich people, schools are very hard to do. But you're saying people, there's no longer significant variation in, in, Per pupil spending. I don't think spending is the source of social inequality. Okay, but the you're source not of saying inequality. I, I don't know which way the spending goes. I don't okay. think there's huge variation. But the the big problem is kids learn from other kids, and any rich person wants their kid to hang out with other rich, you know, high SAT people. They don't want mm-hmm. them to hang out with the poor. And, they, and whether you spend the same or different, they're not going to want their kids to hang out with people from the okay. ghetto. And the only that's the least convincing chapter in my book is how do we solve this problem and i was hoping that some sorts of some sort of choice where schooling wasn't tied to neighborhoods where you could you know people could okay. choose uh would help solve it and i i'd sort of almost given up on that although in montclair new jersey it still works okay uh, well, they have a they have like a lottery to, system where right, you, you, you don't get to choose which school that. you go to yeah so um, montclair. but anyway the the big institutions were the draft Okay, I, I've given up on the draft. I'm still for national service. The big institution I hope will treat people as equals is healthcare. That's why I'm for national healthcare. I'm not in for national healthcare because it's more efficient. I'm not for national health, although it might be. I'm not that much for national healthcare because it's, it will stop rationing. Although I think that is also true, but it's it's the one hope for an institution where everybody's treated equally, and I think Medicare does that. And I also don't think that society is that far gone. I I looked. I looked on a map where my gardener lives. Okay, it's like servant. Wait, you have a gardener? I have a gardener. I have a Latino gardener, like everybody else. Do you know him? 
I say hi to him. What's his first name? Hugo. What's his last name? You don't want. I, I don't want to reveal his identity. It's, uh, he, he has no. He has no. There's no reason why he should be. There are viewers here, and listeners who suspect that you just don't know his last name. Mickey no, Cass. I know his last name. But um, if if you, um, he doesn't live that far from here. Okay, I looked at. I, I talked to the people at the Seven Eleven who are all Burmese. They're Burmese guys working at the Seven Eleven. Okay, they don't live that far from here. The society is just not that stratified, except the pandemic has totally magnified. Okay. Well, uh, I live I live the, twenty miles from Trenton, and I'm telling you, that's very different from where right, I live. Right. The um, well, maybe you should check your privilege, Bob. The, hey, uh, I'm not the one who's saying we give up on income. In, <laughs> equal, I'm here on equal. I'm here. I'm, I'm here in egalitarian Beverly Hills. Right. Okay. Where we live cheek by jowl with our gardeners. You're a man of the people. Um, the, whenever uh, whenever the, people ask me, how would uh, you summarize Mickey Kaus's character in one phrase, I say, he's a man of was the people. This, so you're, this guy makes a good point. The pandemic has made it much worse. And also, eventually, rich people are going to come with come up with life-extending treatments that poor people won't be able to afford. They already, will also they already have. Life. But it's going to be much, much worse. Uh, the other thing is, uh, the point I wanted to make out that sort of reinforces his point and also deals with what the pandemic has turned into was this incredible study of the Mission District in San Francisco where they tested how many people were positive. And the Mission District is like 44% Latino, but it's, you know, and they're not rich Latinos and it's gentrifying. So it's like 38% whites. Mm-hmm. And of the people who had the disease, 95% were Latino, zero whites. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's like the starkest class divide I think I've ever seen in a study. Uh, th- that goes to my point with, I, th- I think if you went to St. John's Hospital, I don't think you'll find anybody there who has COVID. I think it, it, it's, it's, in, and it's not in part, it's not entirely because they're essential employees. If you, if you, if you drew a line. Now these are people up, who have the disease, right? These are not people who have died. They're not people who have died and they're not okay. people who have had the disease and have recovered. Test these positive. are people who actually okay. test positive right now. For the disease. And um, they may not know it. They're asymptomatic. If you do a line a, a quarter mile from where I am right now, and you can hear them talking in the background. If you listen carefully, there are people talking Spanish 30 feet away. There are people talking Spanish 30 feet away on this side of me. There are people talking Spanish 30 feet away on that side of me. You would find 300 Latino workers on the job working. Okay. And you embrace this diversity, do you not? No, I just think people, Latinos, they work. They need to feed their families. These are not right. essential employees. It's not right. essential that my neighbors down the street, uh, you know, improve their lot. Okay. But they're hiring people. The people show up to work. I think it's like a cultural thing. Uh, the, 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 uh, the Latino, well, I mean, the, Latino yeah. community, they work to feed their families. That's what right. happens. Right, right. Right. Okay, and they're and they're not going to let the, the damn virus. They're, all, they're some of them are quite terrified of getting the virus, but uh, but um, well, I think pretty much everyone who's not us. affluent who can hang on to their job is hanging on to it. I mean, you know, and there are and that means well, that, in, that lower income people are are doing that when in, they can. In theory, they were supposed to all be on the dole and not worried about going to their job at the moment. But well, I, I don't know. That doesn't seem to be happening. Anyway, this ninety-five to zero. Statistic was okay. unbelievable. So, do you have other points before? I mean, we we need to leave some time for devs because you have to go do something 
Uh, right. Uh, yeah. 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 So let's. I'm. I'm done. Okay. So can I quickly make uh, at least one point? One thing we okay. didn't discuss, but the what may become open war between Fauci and the administration. Uh, the, the Fauci Rand Paul exchange. I mean, I, I said some time ago that maybe they were going to throw Fauci under the bus and say that he's the one who failed to warn them. It's now a different issue. It's just that he's too pro lockdown. But uh, keep your eye on, on on the relationship between Fauci well, and Trump. Well, but I think I at this say. point the die is cast. We're 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 moving toward easing the lockdown, and the only thing that will stop it is if all of a sudden there's a spike in disease and death. Yeah. So um, that's it's sort of out of Fauci's hands at this point. Then there's a little uh, remdesivir thing, but I can save that till next week. It, it, it'll hold because nobody. It's an interesting thing that nobody's really publicized. Don't fucking much. talk about statistical significance again. It's not unrelated. So, so maybe I, I should take a week off. You're, you're right. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm telling you, if we lose the the part of our audience that you know the people who have a PhD in statistics, I think that's it's a like, big that's a big chunk. It's like the most successful article Slate ever published was about type fonts. Because it turns out there's like a huge community out Graphic there that's designers. obsessed about with type fonts. Yes, um, not me. Um, it's Helvetica all the way. I don't care. Um, I'm a ser- so, I'm a serif guy, but go ahead. Are we ready to go f- to talk about devs? Yeah, unless I should go ahead and do name that pandemic, and, and lest I forget. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Can you name that pandemic? N- naming. I, I've given flu, you the clues. The flu of 1988. The, the Hong Kong flu of 1968. Okay. I had it. and But here's, I told you my mother would figure in, there's a poignant little element here. In fact, you may want to brace yourself for this. I know you're emotionally fragile. I was an 11-year-old child. I was uh, had a fever. I, I still remember how horrible and deep the cough was, just endless right. coughing. And I looked up at my mother and said, Mom, Christmas will still be fun, right? Isn't that poignant? That is poignant. Um, yeah, thanks. In keeping with your Hallmark card uh, sentiments lately. I really did. I remember that exact um, thing. The When I grew up, there was polio. Are you trying my, to diminish my pandemic my experience? Boss, we were terrified of getting polio. My boss, my boss at the... Uh, I can't at, believe you're raining on my parade, Mickey. You're, it's very poignant, Bob, and I'm, I'm very glad you lived. Well, that was a pretty damn fast segue for, for you know, if there was really... If you really appreciated the poignance, I think we might have dwelt on that. But go ahead, oh, polio. How would, would I would I talk would about I your polio? Get a, get a tissue and and dry my uh, eyes. It's up to you. Um, the no, I had a boss who actually had polio. Uh, so uh, and he was he was in a wheelchair for his for most of his life. <laughs> and he died of it. He just died of it recently. He was a great guy, and he and so you I'm know, starting to feel so inadequate got, about my Hong Kong flu. Polio, you had you had really not that much idea where it would strike. You know, I don't know. Uh, okay, anyway. you win, you win. Polio beats Hong Kong. Go ahead. But I was too young to appreciate the danger. My mother was not. Um, so I still remember the polio vaccine. They were sugar cube, right? Was the sugar cube polio? No. Yes. What was the one you took in a sugar cube? It was a polio. There was the sock and the sabin and the sock. One of them was the sugar cube, and the other mm. one was the live vaccine. Okay. I, feel, I, mean, I don't Maybe the live vaccine was the sugar cube. Anyway, Okay, so devs. Should we set the stage for devs? It's like... Yeah, it's, you go ahead it, and set the, set okay, the it, stage. Okay, it's, a, it's a, a series that uh, 
On it TV. costs like 13 bucks to watch the whole thing on Hulu if you're not part of Hulu. It was developed with FX. It's, uh, it's about, you know, it's by the guy, the director who did the movie Ex Machina, some related themes. You've got a somewhat, I don't know if megalomaniacal. Anyway, you've got a guy who runs a tech company and, uh, you know, he's clearly up to this, you know, he's got this quantum computer. They're very, uh, powerful. And you know, should we just not worry about plot spoilers? No, we're not worrying about plot spoilers. Okay, if you, so you want to watch this, if you want to watch it, bail out. Tune out now, yeah. So he's got this computer that uh, uh, is good at pretty good at predicting the future because he has a deterministic worldview and he thinks that free will doesn't exist, and that allows us to simulate the future with growing position with these super uh, powerful computers. It. it, it becomes apparent that this has something to do with his also wanting to reconstruct the past, which this computer can also do. You see like a fuzzy image of Jesus's crucifixion, but it's still fuzzy because they haven't perfected it. They can't look back with complete clarity. becomes clear this has something to do with his guilt over his responsibility for this, the daughter he loved, who he is maybe in some sense responsible for the death of. We see him reconstructing an image of her, and then quantum physics turns out to enter in a whole different way, not not the fact that the computer is powered by quantum physics, but it turns out to matter whether whether or not we adopt the many worlds interpretation of quantum physics, according to which there are right now like many different worlds in which there is a Bob and in which there is a Mickey, because at different points, you know, a, a particle went heads instead of tails. Well, it went both, and 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 the universe branched off, and there was two universes, right. and so on. So that's gives you a sense of the flavor, right? And you and you had a dialogue with Horgan, John recently. Horgan, famous John science Horgan. writer. It's it was, available. Google it on on YouTube. It was or, really or look good. Look at the right show uh, podcast feed. It yeah. was really good. It takes a while to get going, but then I was deeply satisfied with the discussion. Uh, if, if you watch devs, you should definitely watch that dialogue. Amen. I had, I had a bad, I had, I had, I thought you missed a couple of key points in the dialogue. So in part, I'm reacting against you and Horgan. Okay. Uh, point one, you, you thought that the show validated the many worlds theory that it, because this computer only really works when you adopt the many Assume worlds. Assume the many okay? worlds is right. Yes. There is a key exchange where I, which I couldn't find because it's like it's only like ten seconds long, where they ask the assistant to the big me- megalomaniac guy, "You know that the Everett theory is wrong, don't you?" And she says, "Yes, I do." So I think the message of the th- show is not that the Everett many Everett worlds, is many worlds, yeah, that the many worlds theory is right, but that it's wrong. But they've managed to artificially recreate it. Because at the end of the series, they're they're living a simulated life within the computer, where many worlds are possible. Because you can do anything on a computer. You could right. have you could have a good world and a bad world, and all these people who are living simulated lives within the computer as Wait, long as they on, keep the power on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm distracted is, by my egotistical desire to interject the following fact: the many worlds interpretation was developed by Everett. Do you know where the person who taught? Everett, his quantum physics, who taught who taught the introductory quantum physics, the first quantum physics course that Everett ever took. Do you know where that person lived? In your house. Exactly. 
Exactly. We bought the house from his widow. Now I, I, I okay. Is, now I've got that out of me. This is like this is like a Mel Brooks movie. Knew him, you vet vet him. <laughs> I vet vet it. This is a true fact. But now, sorry, <laughs> but because I wanted, I was distracted with wanting to brag. Um, you have to roll it back a little. What are you anyway, saying again? And you said in your dialogue yeah, I know. We with said that, that, the, the, that the many worlds theory turned out to be the winner. The show assumes many and worlds by the end, yes. It, it did not turn out to be the winner because the voice of God, who is this woman, said it was wrong. And what instead, she has recreated a simulacrum of many worlds on the computer where the characters end up living after they're all dead. Um, Wait, so, so it's you're saying it's only... No, but th- there's problems with this, Mickey. There's problems with this. Uh, first of all, um, there's the bridge scene where she says, you know, go ahead, step over the rail. If you really believe in many worlds, um, you've got to believe that even if you fall, there's a world in which you don't. So show us your confidence and then maybe you fall. But so what? There will be a world in which you're, you didn't fall and you'll be happy with that. They show us a bunch of different versions. Now, now, as it happens, none of them is a world in which he he lives, but they show us different worlds, right? And also, by the way, by the way, a view. Somebody tweeted uh, to me, I think, that if you pay close attention to the kind of uh, the beginning of an episode of some episode, they show you a scene, uh, an excerpt from that scene in which he did live. He's like he's lived and he's like at the bottom of the dam or something. Anyway, how do you account for that? That that's just an illustration of many worlds for the viewers, but does not imply that many worlds actually exist. How do you account for the fact that at the um, end of the uh, show? Uh, Forrest, the megalomaniacal guy, who, and it took me a while to figure out he was, uh, Ron from Parks and Recreation. Yeah. He, he looks so different, but, um, uh, he says, hey, there are, there are many other worlds and we should be lucky we're in this one. Why would there actually be many worlds if he only wanted the one in which his daughter was alive to be simulated? Why bother to simulate? No, the they're all simulated. That's why he says he gave them the gift of knowing that they're, uh, they're better worlds to the ones that are in the worst. He created them all. He's, he, they, they, they've, um, they're all simulations. They don't exist. Many no, worlds but, do not exist. They no, only exist no, I, the, as simulations on computers because in computers you can replicate anything. So you can have this world and this world and this world just takes up more, 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 uh, you know, okay, whatever okay, it is. But, but here's another problem. You know, the big alternative. Well, it's funny. What, you know, so he has, Forrest has a deterministic interpretation of the world that's not many worlds. Although I'm actually not clear on why, on whether or not many worlds can be thought of as uh, deterministic. It's an interesting question. In any event, um, you're saying that the woman, uh, who's his both colleague and partner, um, affirms his specific interpretation of no, physics? No, somebody just asked her, you know that, that many worlds theory is wrong. And she looks at the camera and says... I know, and that you're supposed to take the the viewer is supposed to take that as the voice of God saying many words. When does that happen, and why should we take it as the voice of God? Just because dramatically, that's the only way it works. Uh, the uh, I I could I couldn't find it. Maybe I dreamt it. Maybe you dreamt it. Or maybe there's it. a world in which you saw it, and you're yeah, not okay. in that world. Okay. But let me let me we, say let me let me also say you know in the end his preferred linear determinism 
is is cast aside because right. okay. through an exercise yeah. of free will the kind of lead right. uh you know the star of the show who i think is supposed to be a messiah figure she uh that, smashes uh the predictability right. that of the brings future me to my second point yeah which is i the last at the last week i said don't spoil it for me because i have the last episode to go i'm worried that he's going to fuck it up because yeah. the first seven were so great okay yeah. he fucks it up uh um, he has this great actress, this this Chinese act. I think she's Chinese actress who has this. He's this incredible heroine. Mm-hmm. She's you know, she a, she's the, the messiah. She has the world's widest eyes. She's just strong. She's fantastic. Okay, uh, and she destroys determinism by through an exercise of volition, free will, and then she's gratuitously killed by this side black character, which you never mentioned. For no reason at all, just stupidly, this, 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 uh, this, her coworker who previously had been the voice of wisdom, you know, the old black guy, you know, who lives in a trailer, who's still a computer genius and, and, Wait, but and, how does and he kill her? History. He doesn't kill her like shoot her or something, right? I no, mean, he how kills he... her by, he, he, he kills the electromagnetic field and they both fall to their death. And if you go online and read an interview with Alex Garland, he kills them in both versions. There's the determined version that that's on the on the computer where she shoots the the evil the 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 the, the, the megalomaniac founder and they fall from their deaths because the bullet you think it's because the bullet pierces the uh, pierces the glass and that somehow disrupts the field they fall to their death but if you read this interview no there actually is a shot of this 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 guy pushing the button to kill them okay. And the second one, he just outright kills them. And, uh, and, and the, 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 the lover figure says, why did you do that? And he said, because there was evil here and it had to be stopped. Well, the heroine had already destroyed the evil. She'd already stopped the determinism. So he stupidly kills her anyway after she's already won the victory. It's, it's totally gratuitous. They didn't even need that to make the show work. It's just the, the, uh, the guy who wrote the show blew it. He felt he had to do something with this black character he's nurtured, so he turns him into a gratuitously evil villain who kills the show's hero. It's as if you know Frodo had 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 won the won the won the ring, returned the ring, and then he falls in a ditch and kills himself. Why? It makes no sense emotionally, dramatically. It's just stupid. Okay. If this turns into a sermon against the anti- uh, against affirmative action, I'm going to be disappointed, no. Mickey. No, yeah. no, it just no. So you're not they, saying they, this was like make work for the black actor, like give him something I, I do think good. I'm just, happy, but let me it's ask make, you: it's make work for all the characters. These Hollywood writers think they have to weave all the characters into the ending, and that makes the endings much more complicated than they have to be. Let me ask you: he was you a this. perfectly good character. Just let him be. Let me ask you this: this interview with Alex Garland, who is the director, does he affirm your interpretation that that his show was not a Affirming many worlds. I mean, they don't, who, get, they don't ask about. Well, who agrees with you on this? I agree with you. Me. Oh, okay. I was afraid you had I'm somebody credible on my your free side. Will, and if you find this clip, you will agree with me. And that's the third a relief. Thing, the third point is just why you, you and Horgan sort of bought this idea that, which was also stupid in the show, of humanizing the villain. The guy who founded the firm is a bad guy. People have been killed because of him. The 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 lover of the heroine has been murdered because of him and before, and he maybe didn't know that, but he knew that his goon had broken this guy's knuckles. And there's a sort of scene where he goes, Oh, I'm sorry about that. Okay. The guy is a horror. 
Okay, he should still wait. be a, he should still be evil, and yet you and Horgan were going on about how isn't it great that they humanized him in his loss? I don't think no, I went on about we didn't that. Want, we didn't want him to be humanized. We want him to stay a villain. I, I doubt I went on and on about that, but I will say one of the themes in the show is that if you buy determinism, then all is forgiven. You know, I mean, there's the scene where Forrest, the, uh, the, the megalomaniacal guy, has caught her boyfriend, and don't act as if he, you know, killed a totally innocent guy. The guy was conducting espionage. He was stealing, you know, the, the, their secrets. Anyway, no, I'm not saying you should have him killed for but that, her next, but... Her next boyfriend is killed, too. Yeah, but Forrest says he didn't know about that, although he doesn't seem all that... Well, well, Forrest, Forrest doesn't order that. That's when the security guy goes uh, berserko... But he knows that Sugarai has already broken the guy's fingers by bending his oh, finger the, the backwards. Oh, the breaking of the, the fingers, knuckle. not nice. But no, but Forrest says he didn't even know that the guy went that far. Anyway, anyway. But he does now. My point is there is this he scene where Forrest... He didn't, say, he didn't say, oh, he did that? That's horrible. I'm going to talk to him. Forrest, yeah, is, a, Forrest that, is a somewhat callous man. I agree. And, and he uses... now that, But that's why the show is interesting. He both understands that he should forgive... Well, not forgive, but... He, he says to the Russian guy when he catches him in espionage, look, you can't be blamed. We live in a deterministic world. Now, he's going to go on to kill him, and he's going to go on to use that same logic to forgive himself for killing him. And I can't be blamed for killing because we live in a deterministic world. And that's the same logic that the, that, the, that the black guy uses when he's killed the heroine. Right, but, but, but it's end. a good exploration of the theme. And and, and I don't, I don't I, I, I'm not... I mean, my own. That's, I, we don't need I'm to get for, into my views, but but anyway, fine, whatever. I'm for, I, I I'm for I'm for humanizing the villain, okay, a little bit. Don't humanize him so much. You think John and I overdid it? Don't humanize him so much that well, heroine, villain. I mean, who cares? Who's this? I say? mean, that, that that that, and he almost approaches that. I just don't think he knows how to end a show. I just go so I far think, as I had problems with X mocking it too. I think he fucked that up a little too. He kill, he gratuitously kills the hero in that one too. So, uh, it's, he, he, he has this, this, this weird amoral view of, of how epics should end. Anyway, it's good. Devs is good. Just in the sense, I mean, where else are you going to find, you know, as, as dramatic explorations of even the idea of free will and determinism go, it's up there just because you don't see it yeah. much. And then they throw in all this quantum physics stuff yeah. and, and it's, it's a great it's, show. The, fr- the part that I really don't like, which is the gratuitous death of the hero. He didn't even need that. I'm, I don't mind that she died, well, but she he comes to be back to killed. life in effect. She is oh, the Messiah. She's, she's of course in a she's Samarcrum, resurrected. What? And the, the, one of the best, she's in a computer s- simulation. And as one of the best scenes in the movie, they have this Kamala Harris figure who, who the, they call it and say, <laughs> You gotta keep the power, gotta keep us funded and keep the power on, cause these people are living in a computer simulation. If we run out of power, they're just gonna disappear. Right, but see, where I think you're wrong is, yes, it's a simulation, but it's a simulation of a world that actually exists and they have injected these characters or, or sim, or, or avatars of them or something well, sure. into those worlds. Well, sure. But this well, no, is, no, no, this no, 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 not sure. Wait a second. You just spent 15 minutes saying and that's not true. What that there aren't these that that the simulation doesn't correspond to any real. You just said no. There is no world in which his daughter oh, lives. Do you think the simulations are represent the Everett many worlds? No, I think the yeah. simulations were. Well, go find somebody. They, who re- agrees they with may you. represent the Everett many worlds as they were created by the computer. 
That's possible. That's Go a, find somebody that's who agrees possible. with you. And, and that's possible. but they don't. But they don't. Th- these mini worlds do not exist outside of that computer. Wake me up when someone credible agrees with you. Um, Go find them. It's the internet is a big place. Do. Anyway, they must exist. This is, this is this is this can get back to the earlier point of this. This is the solution to the Biden campaign. Okay, he holds he's holding virtual meetings with virtual volunteers on a computer to attract virtual voters, okay? We want to know, how do we put Biden out to pasture? We give him a virtual life on this computer where he's president forever, as long as they keep the power on, okay? He wins the election virtually. He's virtual president in this computer simulation, uh, and we no. can go out about our business. Put him in one of him, those. Okay? Put him in one of those matrix vats. Those those you know those tubes exactly. of goo that Keanu Reeves was in. He will be totally happy, and he would never realize that he it happened. He lives forever. He has he has Ron Klein and Susan Nikki, Rice. This is genius. You're wrong about him. devs, but this you know, and then, is a good idea. And then liberals can one by one sign up to live in this alternate universe, sort of like the West Wing TV show. Oh man, where, this is so good. Where where Biden is president and Trump doesn't exist, or Trump is beaten, and then know? and then if Trump wins anyway, you give the rest of us the option of entering Biden's simulated no, universe because yeah. it would be preferable. Oh, right. this is Mickey. You are underrated. People don't appreciate. It's like, you know, it's like mail in voting, except it's mail in which universe you want to live in. It's total genius. Yeah. Okay, um, Mickey. Um, uh, you, you, now you know what. I better. Yeah. <laughs> no, it looks like you have more to say. No, I'm be it for me to stop. You. I'm done. Okay. Now, Mickey, in in the in a future universe that does not yet exist, where we've uh, figured out a way to support ourselves through this, would we like cut off the devs part and say, no, you gotta jo- you gotta join our Patreon if you want to see that part? That's not hard. You can do that. You could do that. I don't want to do that now, but you could do that. And, and it, they're probably like, you know, eight devs followers who are enough fanatics to pay for it. But uh, I uh, do you think we should threaten to end I the show if people like don't send us a lot of money? Do you remember the National like Lampoon magazine cover? Right. Buy this magazine or we'll shoot this dog. Yes, I think you that's think a we should do technique. that, except not with a dog with us. <laughs> uh, no, but I think um, some sort of technique like that is better than. Uh, the, I hate this when they segment off things and put things behind the paywall. So we should just I'm, threaten to quit. We should just threaten I'm, to storm off I'm stage. I'm stuck in, in the newsletter business, and the whole business about newsletters is you hive some things off and you charge money for them. And but I'm you're not, not trying talking. that yet, right? You're not charging. I, know, I don't have the guts to pull the pull the trigger on that. We no. should do it at the same time because I don't either, and people are trying to talk me into it. Well, if you if you have a sufficient drive, if you're you know if you're my friend Richard Rushfield, if you're Andrew Sullivan's drive. Or my friend John Ellis's drive, you can do that. You can hey, generate. I'm doing, I'm doing a dialogue. I'm taping a dialogue with Andrew next week. So I'll ask I can I, I I don't I I'm not as I'm not as good a content generator as those people. Me either. Um. So. Uh. Anyway. Okay. I'm gonna go Thank take you. a nap. This um, stuff is draining. It is. It's 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 serious philosophy, and it takes a lot of brain cells and energy. I, I will try to find that thing where she says that Everett is wrong. Well, I'd like to see that, but I'd also like to see a non-crank who agrees with you on your interpretation of that. I, I don't mean to, that in an offensive way, but you know what I mean. A non-crank. Um, my so, uncle was a, my uncle was a physicist who was at the Institute for Advanced Studies, but 
Oh, in that case, uh, you must be right about Debs, Mickey. Unfortunately, he passed away, so I can't ask him. I live in the house of yeah, the there- person who taught Everett quantum physics, okay? <laughs> Looks like you didn't win that round. Um, are you okay? You, you won. You won the polio Hong Kong flu face off. Congratulations! But it looks like we're closing on a Mickey loss. Um, there. Um, Jimmy Carter won. He was losing in the polls at the end. Jimmy Carter against Ford. So what? <laughs> what? The, the history of presidential races is the guy that won is. Always going down at the end, often going down at the I end. I see, like, I see. So yeah, Hubert you, Humph- no, no, you, you will vanquish Three, me in the one end. One more week and Hubert Humphrey would have beaten Nixon. Yeah, well, we, we will have this week, next week, and I'm sure you so will vanquish Hubert me. So you're Hubert Humphrey. You're President Hubert Humphrey in this. I, uh, I'm happy to be. I'd rather be him than Nixon, yes. Good point. Okay. Okay. Bad analogies by Mickey. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see All you right. later. See ya.